Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Glad to be with you on a rare Sunday morning where we're going to go at it and talk about some stuff going on in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. And obviously, a big weekend coming up. Obviously, you got the NFL games today. Um, college football matchups are set up. You got some NBA, NHL, but most importantly, it got some stuff going down in Las Vegas where you're going to have the baseball winter meetings. I'm looking forward to heading out there and by, I don't know, 12 hours or so for this evening, I'm going to be on a plane and on my way out there. And the goal, obviously, for me is to look to involve myself more in the world of baseball and obviously radio and TV, get myself out there. But, uh, that's it on the shameless plug today. Um, if you're interested in anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, please give the show a call. The number is 732-364-3598. You could also comment on the Periscope or Facebook Live feed, which I will be uploading, and I'll, see, I'll be able to see the comments pretty soon. We're going to do NFL picks a little bit later. Um, we're going to talk uh, about a couple issues that I see in the world of sports. And we're going to talk about baseball. I'm going to talk about on-base percentage. And we're going to talk about, in the NBA, the over-emphasis and the over-importance that we see day in and day out when it comes to scores. And it's, I think it's a pretty interesting thing to divulge into because really everybody at some point, uh, if you have professional type of talent, you're gonna be a good scorer. So the ones that end up making it and have success in the NBA either become scorers themselves or have to take a tertiary type of role. And that's something that we're gonna talk about in a little bit. But we have to start out the show, obviously, with uh, talking about something that's kind of sad. And I really made a very big parallel with something we saw a couple of years ago. And obviously the sad and tragic passing of Luis Valbuena, an active major leaguer, most notably recently with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and Jose Castillo, a former infielder and second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates who were killed in a car accident out in Venezuela. And just a very sad situation. You got, you know, Jose Castillo still hanging on, playing in the Venezuelan league. Maybe at some point looking to make a comeback and maybe make a major league roster or at least go to spring training. And Luis Valbuena, who's known for, obviously, his personality, um, some bat flips. And losing both of them from the baseball community is obviously a big loss. And you can see the impact they had on their Venezuelan team. And... I tell you, you watch the video, and if you look at it, it was almost <clears throat> something that brings you to tears. Pretty similarly to the way the Miami Marlins had their respect and tribute to Jose Fernandez the, the day or two days after he passed away in a tragic boat accident. And obviously, to lose anybody is a big deal, and anybody that you know, see something like that could possibly relate to something that happens in our own personal life. But, you know, when you follow a sport that you love and have passion for, it's almost like you see the, the, the pain and the suffering and 
the what is felt throughout the tribute in the same way that that person's family does and as being part of the baseball community and being as passionate and you know most of us can consider ourselves fans and that's really all we are we love the game and we love the contributions that everybody makes to making the game what it is and I couldn't help but watching the players from the Venezuelan team carrying the caskets of Luis Valbuena and Jose Castillo and not being nearly shook to tears while you're watching it. And it was almost like watching the players for the Miami Marlins put on that Jose Fernandez jersey. And obviously coming out to the mound and tributing to them like they, you know, obviously they wish that he was still there. But we're going to do everything they can to respect him and hold you know, his life and showing, showing exactly what it meant and what he meant to them. And I think a similar thing you saw very passionately the other day was just how much the players and the people out in Venezuela cared about those two individuals. And this is obviously very sad, but man, it was almost like you're watching as you're watching those caskets come across the field and you are shooken to tears. And you think about the impact that those players not only had on their fellow teammates, but on their families and on the baseball community. And I thought about it with Jose Fernandez, and I saw, you know, it was like Dee Gordon going out there hitting that home run on that Bartolo Colon pitch, and him jogging around the bases crying. I mean, how could you, if you're, if you got love for the game and love and respect for Major League Baseball? not be shook into tears when he saw it. And it's just it's just something that has to be mentioned. And those players, obviously, they're always going to be remembered. They're always going to be respected for their contributions to the game. <clears throat> but I would hope to see more tributes as we come out of the season. Luis Valbuena, who played for a series of teams, including the Cubs and the Astros, and of course the Angels, the most recent team that he played for, all those teams are obviously going to do a tribute to him. Jose Castillo, his impact on the Pirates and a couple other teams that he played for, including the San Francisco Giants. I would expect to see those teams you know, show a little respect, maybe opening day, but maybe throughout the course of the season. But you know, you can't be as passionate as, as you are about sports and love the game and not feel for players like that. And you saw last year, obviously, in the offseason, a tragic accident that killed Giordano uh, Ventura and Andy Marte in separate car accidents. And you obviously know about the impact in a lot of those roadways out in, let's say, the Dominican Republic or Venezuela are not necessarily overseen by police officers. And traffic can probably go where you see cars going probably way faster than the drivers of the automobiles can handle. And just a tragic situation and you know, obviously rest in peace, respect to the families of Luis Valbuena and Jose Castillo. Next thing I wanted to get into, we talk about baseball and I, I tell you, there really is such a fine line and a fine line you can talk about in a respectful way because I think people are equally as passionate when it comes to the study of statistics as they set up in baseball today and that really the fact that everything is so far out there in front of us to be able to 
you know, digest and analyze. And it's good. It's a it's an impact of technology. Technology has grown to a point where you see a lot of, you know, the information that's out there. And if the information can help you make better assessments and better judgments as a fan or as an executive as you're analyzing who what players are best suited for your team, you're certainly better off using. And, you know, analytics, the way they set up in baseball right now, I think in some cases are overkill. But they're, they're very good tools to use as we follow the game today. You know, you look at extra stats and weighted runs created and weighted on base percentage and stats as simple as OPS and OPS plus and, you know, whip. They're not, they're not the gospel or they're not the Bible when it comes to baseball now, but they're good tools to use. And if you're using those tools with, you know, taking the information out and being able to make better judgments, more power to you. But I do think it's created a change in a game and it created, created a change in a game today where I almost think that when people, fans, uh, objectors, people that are analyzing things that are going on, such as myself, um, executive people, scouts, as they're deciding to make baseball decisions, may be drawn to the wrong stat and may be overemphasizing something that may not necessarily be as good of a thing as you think it is. Now, I understand the data and age that we live in now is really emphasizing two things. Number one, uh, launch angle, lifting the ball in the air. I remember Chris Bryant saying the day that he was drafted, "What? how do you describe yourself as a, as a ball player, as a hitter? He says, my goal is to hit four fly balls every game. And with those four fly balls, I feel like I got enough power to put at least one of them over the fence. And the other part of it, and you've heard it from the days of Little League, is that a walk is as good as a hit. And I think you're right if you believe that, and that's the way that you go when you're analyzing baseball stats up to a point. But we've gotten to a point where it's been exaggerated. The fact that a walk is a good as good of a hit has come at the expense of batting averages. And we followed batting averages they, as they've gone down over the last series of years. Good hitters are going out there hitting 230, 240, and it's okay. Bryce Harper is about to get the richest and likely the most lucrative contract in baseball history. It'll be either him or Manny Machado. But is he getting rewarded for the right reasons? Now, you can talk about Bryce Harper as a ball player. He's a great, he's been a phenomenon since his days of high school, since the days that he was drafted number one overall by the Washington Nationals. And I'm not ever going to say that Bryce Harper isn't a good player, isn't one of the top players in all of Major League Baseball. But he's not Mickey Mantle. And you could say him and his father were idols of, you know, idolized Mickey Mantle, and that's great. But Mickey Mantle did so much more than what Bryce Harper does now. Bryce Harper is not Mike Trout. And you look at the players that stand out as the top players in all of Major League Baseball, and the ones that are in a category by themselves, in a category above that of the other players, hit for a little bit higher of a batting average. And I think we're talking about batting average in Major League Baseball is almost like an old school stat. And I think it has to at least be judged up to a certain point. Because right now, in 2018, as we get ready for the 2019 baseball season, 
and executives and people are getting together at the baseball winter meetings trying to fortify their roster, are they looking at on-base percentage in a little bit of a higher light than batting average? And I do want to break that down for a second because if we're talking about a walk being as good of a hit as a hit, that's good. But I'll talk about it how it applies to Bryce Harper. Because Bryce, Bryce Harper, a couple of years ago, goes out there and wins the MVP in the National League. And that one season that he had was leaps and bounds better than anything that he has done since. You're looking at a guy that's been a 240, a 250 hitter, but gets the benefit of getting on base because of his ability to draw a walk. Now, I don't think it's a necessarily an ability to draw a walk. If you look at a team that is going out there playing against the Bryce Harper and trying to answer to Bryce Harper, they look at him in the lineup of the Washington Nationals and they'll look at him in the lineup of whatever team he ends up joining and signing with you know, this offseason, and they're going to not let that guy beat them. So when Bryce Harper is batting third or second or fourth in a lineup, however it's set up, you're going to make sure that Bryce Harper is not going to be in a position to hurt you. If there's runners on base, if there's a base open, you're probably going to pitch around him or maybe intentionally walk him. If there's an opportunity with a guy on base and the game's close and tight and maybe even later on in the game, you're going to pitch him accordingly. So Bryce Harper knows that when he's going to the plate. So he's taking advantage. He does have a good eye at the plate. I'm not going to take that away from him. But he is understanding that teams and pitchers are going to pitch him differently than are going to pitch the other hitters in the Washington Nationals lineup. And like I said, whatever team he ends up joining, they're going to pitch him differently than the other players that are in the lineup. So Bryce Harper is going up there maybe looking for a pitch or two. If not, he's willing to draw that walk and get on base. But that pitcher, too, that he's going out there swinging at, he's going for the Joneses. So two things are going to happen. You may get some fly balls that are going to be caught at the wall. You may get some home runs that are going to go over the fence. But you also are going to get a lot more strikeouts. And strikeouts in Major League Baseball right now are impacting batting average and are almost impacting batting average to a point where people that are very very in, 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 uh, obsessed with analytical stats are going to look at batting average as if, it's, as if it's not important. And if somebody is going out there hitting 240, but is getting credit because they got a 340 on base percentage, is that necessarily a hitter that you want carrying your lineup or being your feature player or your star player? Good players, like I said, the Trouts, they hit over 300. The good, the top players of the league are hitting 280 or above. So you could have two players. One player is going out there hitting about 240 and has a 350 on base percentage. And any other player hits 280 to 300 and may have an opportunity to have a higher on base percentage, but they're not walking at just as much of a clip. Now you have a lot of people that are throwing, which I believe is false information out there. That information that says that a walk is as good of a hit as a hit. I don't believe that walks are as good as a hit. I think up to a certain point, if a pitcher is not going to pitch to you, if you're not going to get the proper pitch to hit in a Major League Baseball at bat, then sure, take the walk. But if your priority number one is to find a pitch and jerk it over the fence or hit a long fly ball somewhere or walk or strike out, I know that it's the modern game, the 2018-2019 game in Major League Baseball that we're seeing right now. 
but I don't know if it's necessarily the way that you should go. Now you have a whole lineup full of hitters that are hitting 230, 240, 250, but they got on-base percentages over 300. What you're basically sacrificing for the walks is singles, doubles, triples, and maybe home runs. And if that and and if those batting average were to go up 40 points at the expense of the on-base percentage that could go down potentially 20 points, don't you think you're in a better situation? If you're getting base hits, if you're hitting line drives, and maybe not hitting as many home runs, it's something that has to be discussed because I don't see this conversation had too much as it applies to Major League Baseball because it's always about the old school against the new school. The new school wants to say that anybody that followed the game from years ago and used generic stats, like they say, like batting average and runs batted in, uh, are you know have watched as the game has passed them by, but really you'll find that the teams that end up doing the most and having the most success over a period of time are blending in the analytics with old school baseball. They're blending in the walk is as good of a hit and a higher on base percentage with guys that are capable of hitting 280 to 300 and hitting over 300. Look at the Boston Red Sox. Look at Mookie Betts and JD Martinez. Did either one of them hit 230? but blessed with an on-base percentage that is 350? No. There were 300 hitters who also hit for power, who also drew walks, who had the best combination of everything. So I really think the game has changed to a point where there's almost an overemphasis and an oversaturation with people that are saying walks and launch angle are the way to go. I think you could put some emphasis on it, I think in certain spots you could look to drive the ball or elevate the ball. I think in certain spots you could look for a walk. Like I said with Bryce Harper, if Bryce Harper is the focal point of his respective lineup and he knows and a team that he plays for knows that the opposition is not going to let him beat him, well, you know, there's no reason for him to swing at balls out of the strike zone. If he gets four balls, he should take his base. If the pitcher that he's facing does not want anything to do with him or does not want to pitch to him, then he's better off just taking his base. And Chris, thanks for your contribution to the show. Great point that you're not pitching to a guy that's hitting 249. And it's basically backing up what I'm saying. But the mystique of a Bryce Harper, you know, focuses that team to say, hey, this guy, because of his star power and because of where he comes from and his name recognition, is not going to want him to beat him. Beat them. And Bryce Harper knows that. But I do think there should be more of a battle. Because look, at pitchers are throwing as hard as they ever can. Pitchers have the ability and are almost getting an advantage. You look at batting average like I brought it up before. Batting average in Major League Baseball has gone down over the last series of years. That means that pitchers are having more of a success rate in regards to getting hitters out. So if I got a guy that is hitting, like Chris said, 249 then I'm going to be more inclined to want to go after that hitter and get him out. And I really do believe that teams should look at somebody that has a 230 or 240 batting average, and they may have a high on-base percentage. They may have a high slugging percentage. They may go out there and put up, you know, 35 and 110 every year. They may have a, an OPS of 900 or 1,000 year in and year out. But I, but I do think it's coming at the expense of strikeouts. And it's coming at the expense of 
batting average. And we always talk about it. And it, all you hear about today is that batting average is just, it's overrated. But if you're hitting 250, that means that you are capable of getting a hit one out of every four times up. Now, if you go a generation before when more emphasis was put on batting average, that you, you're, you know, you're expecting your hitters to hit 300, and that means getting a hit three out of every 10 times up. I understand a walk being as good of a, as a hit, but you're looking at the game that is probably putting uh, more of an advantage in a pitcher. And you look at, you know, Max Scherzer gets all the credit in the world for his 300 strikeouts last year. And listen, Max Scherzer is a great pitcher. Absolutely. He's one of the top pitchers in all Major League Baseball. But am I looking at 300 strikeouts in a season as a great accomplishment in a game that we see today? Of course not. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm just going to go out there and take my walk. And in some cases, when you're going out there taking your walk, means you're probably, you might take a borderline pitch that's on the outside or the inside of the strike zone for strike three and go back to the dugout anyway. And, and, and obviously, listen, Bryce Harper's going to get paid. And there's no question about it. I, I mean, I, I look at him, do I look at him as the best player in baseball history? No. But hit the contract that he gets is going to be representative of the best player in baseball history. And you know that's not fair to Mickey Mantle. You know that's not fair to Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth. It's not fair to Reggie Jackson. It's not fair to Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew or anybody, or Mike Schmidt or George Brett or anybody else that you want to put up in that category as far as being a top player of their respective generations. But we understand that the players of each generation from the start of free agency and the end of the 1970s, that each generation of players were going to be compensated more than the generation of players before. So Bryce Harper is going to get a contract that's worthy of, let's say, what Mickey Mantle would have gotten if he was a free agent this offseason. But you got to ask yourself, if you're one of those teams, if you're the Phillies, if you're the Yankees, if you're, let's say, even the Chicago White Sox, who you hear may have some interest in signing Bryce Harper as a franchise type of player as they look to turn their organization around. Are you getting a player that's going to be able to have that much of an impact? Getting a player that, I don't know, can he get out of his 245, 250 batting average that he's going out there year in and year out? That one hit out of every four at-bats. But, hey, he may walk one of those other times. That one hit may be a home run. Is that the type of player that I'm looking to build my team around? And that's what has to be asked because I do think it's very powerful and important as you're looking at the impact that these type of players will have, especially being on new teams. You know, the likeliness of Bryce Harper going back to the Washington Nationals is not very good. The best chance of that happening would be for the market to essentially crash and Bryce Harper to get nowhere near what him and Scott Boris are expecting. And then him maybe going back to the Washington Nationals saying, hey, 10 years and $300 million is a good enough contract. Well, listen, anybody that has any common uh, uh, conventional wisdom understands that that's a very good contract. It's a contract that you and I would sign yesterday. But the market, the way it's set up, Scott Boris and Bryce Harper expect to get more. And in the end, it's more than likely a team like the Phillies or the Yankees or perhaps even the Chicago White Sox or somebody like that is going to offer him a contract that's lucrative enough to be one of the best, to be the best in baseball history. And that's what he's looking for. 
Scott Boris as an agent is looking to set the market ahead so that next generation of players can have the opportunity to earn more than the ones that are being compensated right now. But I think you do have to understand what it is that you're getting because the modern day baseball player that's getting paid the most money at anybody in baseball history is not from a statistical standpoint putting up the best numbers. And we can saturate it all you want with these stats about how great somebody's on-base percentage is. You could talk about all day how great somebody's walk rate is. But it, it, it's just unbelievable what it's being held at the expense of. It's being held at the expense of strikeouts. And once again, these strikeout pitchers that are striking out 120 batters in 70 innings or 300 batters in 220 innings, those are good statistics. But they're not an indication of the game as the way you see it right now. You have to throw almost a butt in there. But everybody is striking out at a ridiculous rate. Your average Major League power hitter is striking out between 25 and 33% of the time they come to the plate. Now, if you focus on hitting and you study hitting and you've read, let's say, Ted Williams' book, and the game is that important to you where you focus on the pitch to hit and you make sure that contact is a big deal. Your swing and miss rate is generally going to be lower than that of the player today. And it bothers me. It really frustrates me the fact that there's so much overemphasis on a walk being as good of a, as a hit. Yes, if a pitcher is not going to pitch to you, then a walk is fine. You take the walk. But don't go up there looking for a walk. And it's almost like hitters in Major League Baseball right now are looking at the three possible options and they don't care what else happens other than one of those three possible options. They want to know what percentage of the time they can come to the plate and hit a home run. They want to know what percentage of the time they come to the plate and walk. And they do it at the expense of the percentage of the time that they come to the plate and strike out. And, I, and, I, and it's a game that's changed. Now, if I'm looking to build a team, I want a series of hitters like we got with the Boston Red Sox. Guys that are hitting 280 to 300 and over 300. And my best players on the team, the Mookie Betts and the J.D. Martinez, are hitting well over 300. Because I'm not going to care as much how much time they're walking because they're getting singles, doubles, triples, and home runs at over 30% of the time they come to the plate. Not 25% or less like the majority of power hitters are in Major League Baseball. And yes, the home run is still that great throw. It's still that great equalizer. When somebody goes out there and either clears the bases or hits a solo shot over the wall and gets their you know, glory trot around the bases and slaps the coach's hand around third base, it's a big moment. You've seen home runs go up in baseball. But there's got to come a time, and I think this is a game that comes full circle. It comes full circle from a, a studying standpoint, from an analytical standpoint, are there teams that are going to be wise enough to want to wonder, hey, what if we can get the strikeout rate down of our hitters on our team? Will we have a statistical advantage? What if we don't focus as much on on-base percentage and focus more on striking out less? Maybe having a two-strike approach. You look at a Jeff McNeil who came up with the Mets last year is almost that throwback hitter that wasn't going to allow himself to strike out under any circumstance. Daniel Murphy is that type of player. But there's so many 
players, and you look at free agency last year, and I'll tell you, there really is a correlation, which didn't get discussed that much, between the amount of times that players struck out and the free agents that were out there in Major League Baseball that didn't get signed. So many teams were saying, hey, I can get 20 home runs from somebody else and not have to pay 8 to 10 to 12 to 15 to $20 million a year for a player that's going to go out there, hit 25 home runs, and have an on-base percentage perhaps at about 320 and strike out 150 times and bat 240. So I applaud Major League Baseball, and I'm not going to say collusion was involved because I think there was some intelligence that was really embracing the baseball community, understanding the fact that hitters that are only going to get a hit one out of every four times, and maybe if they're lucky, they'll get on base that other time. So maybe two out of four times, maybe two out of maybe four out of ten times, or two out of five times. I just I just wonder if the game is going to come full circle back to emphasizing batting average because when you're talking about some of the better free agents out there or the better offensive fits for certain clubs, we continue to have on base percentage, weighted on base average, weighted runs created thrown in their face, our face. And what is it emphasizing the most? It's emphasizing the ability to walk and to get on base as opposed to getting a hit and potentially impacting your team. It's not impacting the amount of strikeouts. I want to see every time somebody throws out WRC or WOBA as a stat that's uh, in favor of a certain player. I want to see their strikeout percentage there too because I promise you for the majority of players that are very high in WRC and high in weighted on base average, they're also going to have a high strikeout percentage. So strikeouts are an indication of the lower batting averages. The batting averages aren't important because those players are walking as much. So how many doubles, how many potentially home runs, how many singles would a guy on second base or at first base with a chance to advance a runner further are sacrificed for a guy that's going to get that one extra walk? As, as executives and people in Major League Baseball are getting together, I hope this is a conversation that they end up having a little more than a half. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beechwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So I wanted to swing into the NBA for a couple minutes. And this is something that I was thinking about the other day. And I think you go back really to um, any player that has the ability to play basketball. And you think about how it starts in, in, in the courts, whether it's at a school, whether it's outside, whether it's in a rec league where you discover or a player themselves discovers that they have some talent. They're very quick. They could cross over. They can get by people. They have a great jump shot. They have the ability to certainly become an impactful player. They get recruited when they're in high school. They end up getting scholarships to go to college. And if they're lucky enough or they're good enough, they get the opportunity to play in the NBA. And you can think about a LeBron James or you can think about even a Zion Williamson, who's at Duke right now, the most coveted player, probably the consensus number one overall pick in next year's NBA draft. 
And these are guys that obviously are discovered at younger ages. And the one thing that they all have in common is the one thing you could definitely say they have, and that's their ability to score. And you see it happen pretty similarly to the way I said, hey, Major League Baseball, you're getting all the best players from everywhere in the world. Everybody that is up at a certain level, everybody that is a star in high school is recruited to play in college. And when they get to college, it's the best of the best of the high school players. So every player that's on a respective roster, every player that gets a scholarship, every player that walks on was the best player on their high school team and maybe the best player in their conference, the best player in their state. And obviously it's a weeding out process as you get to college because some of the players that were the best on their respective teams were no longer the best on their college teams. But when you get to the pros and players get drafted or signed as amateur free agents, there's the once again, the best of the best. So the best on all college teams, the best players that are coming out of high school, the best players that are uh, on their teams throughout the entire world are all of a sudden put at a certain level where the best of them are end up moving on to the next level. And then the best players on some other teams may just not make it. And the same applies to basketball. And there's a lot of emphasis. And you know certainly when you look at the the, the top players or the most talented players you see in high school or college, what do they have the ability to do? They have the ability to shoot. They have amazing quickness and the ability to score. And you see scores that go from high school to college that may not get the ball as much in college as they did in high school because they're not the focal point of their individual team. That hurts some players. Some players that say, hey, my goal or my job or what I feel like my gift is, is my ability to score. Well, once that happens, all of a sudden, you have a player that's at a crossroads. They have to decide whether they can contribute in other ways to their respective team, or has the game passed them by? Because they are not as a centerpiece or the focal point of the scoring offense or the way the team is constructed. So you see this happen in many different ways. And it, it even in, in, impacts players as they come into the NBA. Every player, just about, that's drafted or is pursued in a National Basketball Association is a scorer. Then how come you see scorers that may have great college numbers, great high school numbers, and just aren't scorers in the NBA? It's not that they lost the ability to score. It's that the offense is focusing on another player. And it's almost like a kind of a commandeering man thing that we talk about. We, we say that somebody puts their, uh, you know, maybe their uh, ex, you know, in, into something. A better or more prolific scorer is going to naturally take the ball away from somebody else who considers themselves a scorer. So how does that score that's in an offense that may not be best suited for them to score 30 or 40 or 50 points a game... How does that scorer become a complimentary player? And you've seen very good players in the NBA that were scorers that became very good complimentary players. But you also see a lot of players in their mid-20s getting phased out of the game. And you look at a guy that has a, the ability to score 50 points in a game, may have shown at the NBA level at some point to be able to score 30 or 40 or 50 points in a game, but gets phased out of a respective offense and all of a sudden, a year or two later, is out of the league. I think some of that has to do with coaching. 
And I mentioned on the show before talking about how maybe something should be changed in regards to forcing players to have to play a year in college or at least be 19 to be eligible for the NBA draft because I don't think college is for everybody. And I don't think you should be forced to go to college if it's something that you really don't want to do. But the other side of it is when you're talking about players that are ready for the NBA, they, they certainly should have the opportunity to go out there and compete at the highest level. But the one thing that's missing is you talk about, so let's say, Zion Williamson going to Duke. He has a chance to play for Mike Krzyzewski. And Mike Krzyzewski may be able to develop him or may be able to encourage him to be the type of player that could succeed without having the ball in his hands. And you're seeing that. Zion Williamson isn't going out there scoring 50 points a game. He's working on his overall game. So when you talk about, hey, a player that may not be interested in going to college could not only benefit from an education, but most importantly, can benefit from having the right coach be able to teach them and the right coach to be able to show them what it is that they need to do to be successful if they're not handling the ball. Somebody that's used to, throughout high school, carrying the ball up and just going to the basket and scoring. Or being able to shake the defender to a point where they can get their shot. And they're going to average 30 shots a game. They feel like they could go out there and make between 15 and 20. And that's why they're scoring 30, 40 points every game in, in high school. They go to college. And maybe they could do that too. But a good coach, a good coach is going to say, hey, listen, you could have a good impact on this game. You could help us win. You could still be the best player on the court by not scoring 30, 40, 50 points a game. And I think those are valuable enough lessons that I think there's a lot of basketball players today just aren't getting. And you, you figure that there be enough players that are, have a nice, nice balanced mind to say, all right, what if I'm not the focal point of our offense? Well, I still have to impact the game. I could block a shot. I could play good defense. I could occupy a player, maybe draw a double team to me and allow for a teammate to be open. There are players that are very successful now in the NBA, and you look at a LeBron James. LeBron James does everything well. He may not do everything at the best. You may say, hey, there's a better score. You may say there's a better defensive player. You may say there's a better passer. You may say there's a better rebounder. But he balances everything out in the middle, and he's able to help his team in so many different ways. And if you look at this generation of players that are so focused on scoring in the NBA, they want to go to the NBA, they want to go out there and be you know, the next Kobe Bryant. They want to be the, you know, the, the next player that's going to go out there and score 30 points every single game. They want to be the next Michael Jordan. Well, you look at Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, they impacted their team in other ways. They allowed for their team to have the best chance to win. And it wasn't all about what they did on that given day or how many points they scored in that given game. They can impact the game on the defensive side. They can impact the game by drawing double teams and finding the right player that's open to get some easy baskets. They impacted the game by being able to get to the foul line in times where you needed to get to the foul line. And it, once again, every player that makes it up, and honestly, every player that's recruited in college, every player that is offered a scholarship, or even every player that has the opportunity to be a walk-on on a college basketball program, 
probably has one asset to them, and that's their ability to score. And the question you got to ask yourself is, what happens when somebody else is doing the scoring? If somebody else is doing the scoring, can I still help my team? Because you're seeing many players that were good scorers in high school and in college, and even at some point in the NBA, getting phased out in the NBA because that's all they could do. And I look at Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony's had a very successful career. He scored a lot of points for the Denver Nuggets and the New York Knicks. And he'll probably be on another roster soon, helping out some other team. And I, I hope, for his sake, that he has a good impact on an NBA franchise. But what has happened to Carmelo Anthony over the last couple of years? It's not that he has digressed. When he went to Houston and when, you know, when he went last year to Oklahoma City, he was not the focal point of the offense. The offense was not centered around giving him the ball so he could take his shots and score his points. Dwight Howard, you've watched him be phased out of the game because he is not the focal point of an individual offense. Good players have proven to, in some cases, not be very good role players or very good tertiary players on a given team. And those players, unfortunately, and it might be unfair to say this to them, but they're not good teammates. A good teammate says... I'm going to contribute any way I can, even if it's not scoring. But the game you've seen as, as it is today is so focused on having that crossover, having that quickness, having that ability to bring the ball up the court, having that ability to drive by the defenders and make a layup, having that ability to make 30, 40-foot shots on a regular basis, having the ability to get to the foul line, having the ability to light up the score sheet and have 30-plus points every single game. There's other aspects of basketball which teams need. And it's not like you're taking a step back from becoming from being a star. But what you what you are doing is you're making the game a little more about yourself. And I'm glad the NBA at certain points is being wise as far as evaluating what type of players are valuable on a given roster. Because you don't want a scorer who isn't going to do anything if they're not scoring. If that's a centerpiece of your offense, fine. But if you have scorers that have more abilities to do other things, then that person that is just a scorer is probably going to be sitting on a bench. And if they're sitting on a bench and only playing a handful of minutes a game, I don't know if they're going to be in the best shape or in the best position to be able to knock down shots in a big spot. Now, some players have shown the ability to do that. Robert Ory was good at that. He was a scorer early on in his career when he became a role player can just come off the bench and hit a big shot. There's other players like that. But I just think the focus, which from more young people, it continues to be entrenched in their heads that it's all about scoring, scoring, scoring. It's all about quickness. It's all about having that great jump shot. There's other aspects to the NBA or to basketball that will allow somebody to be successful as a professional. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPiello.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. I'm excited about today because, you know, within a series of hours, we fly out to Las Vegas. where We'll be down there at the baseball winter meetings. And I'm going to say something a little different than I did last year. Sure, I may do an interview or two, but my focus is to get to the next level. And to get to the next level, that means to put myself in a position where I can impact 
the game of baseball, but also radio and TV in a better way than I, I, I have been able to do to this point. Uh, we're going to segue right into our NFL picks, but before that, I just wanted to remind everybody that this copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of a program, such as by charging admission for a showing, is similarly prohibited. So we look at our football picks two and three last week, a dismal record on the season. We're looking to finally have that week where we go out there and win all five of the games that we're picking. And we haven't had that happen yet. Uh, a couple of close games, and I've said the spreads have been a major pain this year because in some cases they're very hard to touch. I'm going with my gut, and I think one of my issues that I've had at some points this year is that I've overthought stuff, and it's really what everybody does, right? We, we, we try to think that we have a, a strategic advantage by thinking a little more and a little bit deeper into something, and it ends up hurting us because we overthought it and we kind of left out some of the simpler things or the simpler points that can allow to make a very educated decision. So I just kind of went with my gut and the first game we're gonna go at this week is the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins playing in Miami. And obviously the Dolphins have been struggling. They got off to a very good start. You know, Adam Gaze looked like he had that team going in a good direction would be in a good spot to make the playoffs. And it's not like they're out of it, but they got to start winning some games. And the one thing that stands out about the Miami Dolphins is the fact that they've played the New England Patriots well over the last couple seasons. And I don't know if it's a defensive game plan they have to maybe make things a little bit tougher for Tom Brady, but they're able to be in it. And in some cases, I think it's, what, four of the last five years they've beaten the Patriots at least once. So I do believe that there is something behind that. And I do believe that the Miami Dolphins, as they come on the field, feel comfortable, feel confident, feel like they could go at and compete with the New England Patriots, especially when they're playing on their home field. And I was looking at it and I said, hey, if, if the line was four points or less, I wasn't going to touch the game. But the fact that it's up to seven and a half, I gotta take the points in Miami. So give me Miami plus seven and a half at home against the New England Patriots. Game number two, as we hit the concluding point of the passball show, I wanna once again thank everybody for tuning in. And obviously as we're getting set to go down to the baseball winter meetings in Las Vegas, we're just gonna finish off our NFL picks, do a quick recap and then we'll be out of here. Kansas City's playing home against the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson has played very well over the last couple weeks. Uh, I look at the Chiefs defense and I say, this is a team that could be scored upon. But when I'm coming down to it and I'm trying to figure out what team I think is going to have the best chance to win or the best chance in Kansas City's case to dominate, I want to think about what Lamar Jackson can do by throwing a ball. Now listen, he's got a very good arm. He is... Um, taking himself into the offense. He's acclimated himself very well with the offense. They've changed the offense, obviously, to benefit him and help him out a little bit, which has been good. And the Kansas City Chiefs defense is not supposed to be very good. It's a team that you can throw on. 
their secondary is vulnerable. They don't necessarily get to the quarterback as well as they should. So I'm looking at it and I say, can Lamar Jackson light up the Kansas City defense and make this game close? And I look at the Chiefs, and I understand Baltimore's got a very good defense. Baltimore is in a wild card spot right now. If the season were to end today, they'd be going to the playoffs. John Harbaugh would be saved. His job would be secure for next year. But I think the Chiefs got so many weapons. I mean, uh, and I think Spencer Ware is going to be able to step in and get his carries and be a focal point of the offense. He may not be Kareem Hunt, but he's going to be in positions where he's going to succeed. Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey, you know, Patrick Mahomes having a ridiculous season that he's having. I really think the Chiefs can win this game by a touchdown or more. So give me the Chiefs minus six and a half at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Next game, I think I'm going on a whim here. Because you saw what happened in Green Bay last week after their loss to Arizona. Mike McCarthy was fired. And you see it happen over sports. Not as prolific in a sport of professional football as it is in other sports. Obviously, it happens a lot in hockey. happens a lot in professional basketball. happens sometimes in Major League Baseball. But one of the things you see a lot is a change in head coach and a little bit of a spark that goes down to the players. And the reason that spark goes down to the players is that they probably feel somewhat responsible for that coach getting fired. If the team played a little better, if the team won a couple more games, their coach, who probably in a majority of the cases the players like, lost his job because of what the players didn't do or did do wrong or incorrectly. So I think in a Green Bay Packers play in the Atlanta Falcons, and the Falcons have been ravaged by injuries. And the Falcons, as a team this year, you look at them and you figure they're a very high-scoring offense. They should be able to put a lot of points together. You look at week one against the Philadelphia Eagles where they didn't score that much points. You thought that, hey, they, they a little bit of uh, rustiness. They had to get themselves together. They're going to be back and scoring a lot of points week in and week out. It hasn't happened this year. And I look at the Green Bay Packers at home. Joe Philbin as the head coach, I don't think he's going to be the difference in the game. But I think the players are going to come out a little more energized. The players are going to come out with the intensity that they haven't shown over the past couple weeks. And I know the Packers are dealing with injuries too, but I think the Packers are going to have a very strong showing this Sunday. Give me Green Bay minus four at home against the Atlanta Falcons. The next game was a scary game because I looked at the line and wondered why it was so low. The Denver Broncos have been playing very good football over the last four weeks. It looks like Vance Joseph may have his job secured. He looks like he may be coming back next year unless the Broncos utterly collapse. They got some rhythm in their offense. Their defense has obviously played very well because of the players that they have. You know, they got Bradley Chubb. They got Von Miller. This is a team that was expected to be in a mix in the AFC West, and they still may be. They can win a couple games. They can finish with a winning record, 9-7, 10-6. They can probably be in the mix when it comes to that last wild card spot. Excuse me. And they're playing against the San Francisco 49er team that has gotten some inspired play. Uh, a team that was dealt a, a very bad blow when Jimmy Garoppolo, their franchise quarterback, tore his ACL and was out for the season. They've played better than expected. But I look at the Denver Broncos and I see one team that is making that transition and making a run and a push for a playoff spot. And a team in San Francisco that I really think if you could get ahead of them by a score or two, you could control the flow of the game. 
And once again, the line I like. So give me Denver minus three and a half at San Francisco. Last game, the Chicago Bears at home. Will Mitchell Trubisky play? Will he not play? Regardless, they're going to have to take on the mighty Los Angeles Rams and Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. And an offense that you know can put up points. You know a defensive front that at least has the name power. You know, the Aaron Donalds of the world. And a very balanced team. Really a team right now that looks like the best team in the NFC. We'll see how it works out. Do they get to the Super Bowl? Do they not get to the Super Bowl? But the Chicago Bears defense. And you could say the Bears defense against the Rams offense will be an interesting matchup. And I think it is. I think the, the Bears' defense last week did not show up, especially in the first half of the game against the Giants. And, you know, look at the Giants as a team that's going to light up the score and score 30, 40 points every game. So I, I'm a little worried. And I do think that Coach Matt Nagy has a game plan. And the defense says, hey, listen, we took some steps back last week. we got to be better than that if we expect to be a playoff team in the NFC. So I do think they'll have a better game plan. But the Rams are only favorited by three. And I think this is a game that they could go out there. And I don't think they're going to blow out the Bears. I don't see them winning by 20, 30 points. But I'm drawn to this game because of the line. So give me the Rams minus three at Chicago against the Bears. So once again, Miami plus seven and a half versus New England. Kansas City minus six and a half versus Baltimore. Green Bay minus four versus Atlanta. Denver minus three and a half at San Francisco. And the Rams minus three at Chicago. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Luis Valbuena and Jose Castillo, obviously, may they rest in peace. Um, watching their caskets being carried by the players for their Venezuelan team was eerily a reminder of the tribute to Jose Fernandez and the Miami Marlins. And you watch a moment like that, and you know if you have any compassion whatsoever, you can't help by get, getting choked up over it. Um, is Major League Baseball and analytics staffs overemphasizing or overrating on-base percentage? And I think it's something that has to be discussed, not uh, as a matter of an old school versus new school, are we accepting so much lower batting averages and are we accepting higher strikeout rates at the expense of a guy that's going to draw a couple more walks? Because Joey Votto, who you talk about this day and age is king of on-base percentage and OPS, doesn't hit 230 or 240. He hits 280 or he hits 300. Mike Trout, the OPS king and a guy that's in the running every year for the American League Most Valuable Player Award. Hits over 300. He may draw some more walks, and that's good. But he doesn't hit 230. He doesn't hit 240. And baseball today is accepting that player that is not going to hit for a high batting average, that is going to strike out well over 150 times, and is going to strike out at 30% or more of the times that they come to the plate with the hope that they'll draw a couple more walks, with the hope that they'll hit a couple more home runs. And I don't think it's the right way to go. Now, I think in the end, you have to have a balance of studying players the way you did years ago and using the analytics and the stats and everything that is right in front of your fingertips now. Talked about NBA scores 
and comparing it to Major League Baseball when you have the best players of every high school team, the best players in college, the best players in low A and high A and double A and rookie ball in triple A. And then they go to the majors and everybody at some point was the best player on their team. How does that player adjust to maybe not being a star? How does an NBA scorer who had some talent through what they did in high school and college to get to the NBA, how did they deal with the fact that they're not the number one scoring option? You're seeing a lot in the NBA of players that had that ability, that have scored 30, 40, 50 points in a game, and are in a spot where they're not the prime scoring option, they're not helping their team at all. And in a couple of years, they're out of the NBA. NFL picks are over on JohnPLA.com, so please check it out. Hope everybody enjoys their week. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Obviously, a lot of stuff's going to go on at the baseball winter meetings. I expect it to be a little busy. A lot of stuff will happen in the trade front, I do believe. I think teams are looking at the price of starting pitching, perhaps the price of prolific hitters that they're looking to add to their lineup. They see maybe it's a little bit high. So I would expect to see more trades this week than free agent signings, but we'll see how it turns out. And obviously I'll be reporting for it just as much as anybody on a national level. So hope everybody has a nice weekend. Enjoy your NFL. Um, you got obviously NBA, NHL. So we'll be back with you probably the end of next week, probably on the other side of the baseball winter meetings. If I do hit a choice interview or two, we'll share it on uh, social media and we'll get it out there for everybody to see. So this is once again, the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.